St. Leo the Great, pray for us. Terry and Jesse show. This is uh, the month of November dedicated to the holy souls. Remember, the Bible says the holy souls in Psalm 116, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his faithful ones. Yep, the month of November, it kicked off with uh, All Saints Day. And uh, let's remember our beloved uh, saints. Pray to them every single day. Ask for their assistance. If you got people dying of cancer, pay to St. Peregrine. People traveling to and fro, uh, St. Raphael. There are different saints that have different emphases in the Catholic faith. And remember, these are God's friends. As Patrick Madrid says, any friend of God is a friend of mine. Uh, and so, Terry, I'm on duty. What about you, my I'm friend? I'm on duty, Jess. I'm blessed by the best, and I'm excited because every day we get to share the good news of Jesus Christ with our listenership and give them hope, not in the government, not in the, uh, you know, some some other medical com, uh, uh, conglomerate. No, in Jesus Christ and Amen. his faith, and that's what we're doing. But, Jess, today's topic you know, with all of the anxiety in the world right now, people are on medications. I was talking about that last week. And are here are we spiritually prepared for a nuclear war holocaust? Well, why do I bring it up? Because what's happening in the Ukraine and Russia? It could happen. And you know what? I'm not worried. You know why? No. Because if I'm living in the state of grace. Bring it on. Yeah. And so we're going to talk about that topic. Also, a CNN smears a charity, of pro-life charity, and uh, I like that there's a pushback for that, and a Catholic uh, vote is actually talking about that. And then, Jess, I uh, I can't believe this, a, a bishop, a Dutch bishop, he's leaving the Senate on synodality. He says the Holy Spirit has nothing, absolutely nothing to do with it, and I like his reasons why he's leaving. It's a great, great—I hope we, we want to get to that because— I think yeah. it'll inspire other bishops to say, wait a minute, what am I doing here? This is not, has nothing to do with religion. It has all, everything else to do with sociology and to compromise with the world. Mm-hmm. So, Jess, what about some good news stories? What do you have? I've got a, I got a good Philemon, news story. Philemon, Terry, I got, uh, I, oh, uh, good news stories. Uh, yeah. the, other than the tell you that here in Arizona, they're still counting the ballots. Close. So all is not lost. No. Uh, it looks like it's a horse race. So uh, you you have some good people. You have a lot of attorneys here on the RNC side. Good. Even, uh, and so it looks like they're going to have Maricopa County, which is the biggest county where I'm at. It looks like they're going to hand count all the ballots wow. over again, which is good. We yeah. want to hand count them. Sure. Uh, yeah, we don't trust we don't trust what they're feeding into the machines. So yeah, it could take a couple of days. So uh, we could have. You know, it, it's 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 possible that the Lord can give us a victory here, Terry. I hope so. Hey, Jess, this is good news. Bush bishops pushing back uh, regarding Islamic violence. Uh, the bishops are meeting uh, uh, in a very Islamic uh, country hmm. uh, right now, uh, and what they're in, it's in Indonesia, where it's a highly Muslim country, where four thousand six hundred fifty. 50 Christians have been killed just in Nigeria in 2022 so far. And we've been reading about that. But the bishops are going to the, having this dialogue with the Islamic people and saying, hey, you got to stop this. This is not, has nothing to, you know, what you're doing is wrong and we're going to call you out on it. This is one of the few times I've seen bishops say that rather than, oh, we just want to get along with you, uh, but we won't bring up any of the violence you do to us, like slaughtering us. So I, I think it's good news that the bishops are trying, finally acknowledging to the Muslims that 
your religion is so violent. You got to stop this because we're not going to be able to get along without you know. We, we, how, how do you have a dialogue when you murder me? That's good that's, news. That's well, and, and I'll tell you why. Yeah, it is good news, but I'll tell you why it's not going to stop because they would have to redact their Quran, exactly. and they're not going to do that because that's a diabolical book. That's where all the uh, that's where all the cut their head off verses come from. I think there's like a, like 116 verses that tell you to kill the infidel. Yep. Unless they gar- unless they trash the book, uh, Islam will never change until yep. the second coming of Christ. Exactly, Jesse, before you go on to your next one, this is something I've been telling people. Whenever we <laughs> criticize bishops, we always want to be able to give them a spiritual bouquet, where even if okay. it's a rosary yeah, or a mass. Yeah. And I would criticize this German bishop because he said something that's contrary to the gospel. He says homosexual attraction and lovemaking, not an aberration. He says we cannot give homosexual people the answer that their feelings are unnatural and that they must therefore live celibate lives, like the church teaches it, and just like I have to teach it to be a celibate as a married man with my wife. Mm-hmm. But as, a, as the church, we have to answer these questions in a new way. Well, you know what, um, Bishop Helmut? Dustler, I want to just say I'll pray for your conversion because you're dead wrong. And do us a favor, step down as a bishop. If you can't teach the promises that you made when you were a bishop, then do us a favor and do yourself a favor and step down. All right, that's my take on that. That's right. Terry, let me read uh, the first reading today, the letter to the Philemon. Yep. It's a letter people are saying, hey, what is that in the Bible? Yeah, yeah. It's the shortest, shortest letter in the Bible. It is. New Testament. Isn't it a and, letter, uh, Jesse, to one person? Is That's unusual for St. Paul. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, I yeah. Mean, that's Terry. what I realized when I was reading. Who else is she? Any other St. Paul where he says one person? <laughs> Go ahead. No, no, th- this is it. This is the smallest letter he's ever written. Okay, cool. Uh, and he's, he's writing to two Christians. Mm. One's a slave owner and one's a slave. Ah. And the slave runs away. And look at the way, because he's a, the slave owner is a Christian, now look at the way he writes to him. Okay. He says... Beloved, I have experienced much joy and encouragement from your love because the hearts of the holy ones have been refreshed by you, brother. Therefore, although I have the full right in Christ to order you to do what is proper, I rather urge you out of love, being as I am, Paul, an old man, and now also a prisoner for Christ Jesus. I urge you on behalf of my child, Onesimus, okay, so he's the slave, Uh Uh, that's and and the other the guy that he's writing the letter to Philemon he's the owner but okay. they're both followers of Christ he says uh, <clears throat> whose father I have become in my imprisonments notice the, this is where we get as Catholics the whole thing about calling spiritual leaders fathers in the church Paul says I'm his father uh, he, he says who was once useless to you but is now useful to both you and me I am sending him back. That is my own heart back to you. I should have liked to retain him for myself so that he might serve me on your behalf in my imprisonment for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent so that the good you do might not be forced, but voluntary. Perhaps this is why he was he was away from you for a while that you might have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a brother beloved, especially to me, but even more so to you as a man and in the Lord. So if you regard me as a partner, welcome him as you would me. And if he has done you any injustice or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, write this in my own hand. I will pay. May, may I not tell you, 
that you owe me your very self. Yes, brother, may I profit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ, the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So St. Paul is, is writing a letter. This guy's his friend. Yeah. And uh, Philemon is his friend. And he's writing a letter because his slave ran away. His slave, his name's Onesimus. So, so Paul is not appealing to, to like Jewish law. Okay, because slavery was practiced in the Old Testament as well. And it's still practiced in, in, in Islam today, by the way. Mm-hmm. But St. Paul's not appealing to any law. He's appealing. He says, you got to do the right thing. So he's asking Philemon to receive Onesimus back, but no longer as a slave, but as a brother. Because they're now both in Christ. And remember, Paul said later on in Galatians that there's neither, there's neither slave nor free man, but we're all one in Christ. So for, for St. Paul, this supernatural reality that we're brothers, even a slave owner and a slave, we're now, we're now uh, brothers in Christ. St. Paul is basically uh, arguing that, hey, Philemon, you got a free Onesimus. You're a Christian. That's his argument. Yeah. You got to free him. You're a Christian. And so Paul's reminding Philemon that he owes Paul his very self. It doesn't exactly, you know, probably Paul evangelized him. That's what he meant by that, that he brought the gospel to him. So he goes, hey, you owe me your very self. So he's, he's making a strong appeal to Philemon's moral conscience now that's, that's embraced Christ. And he's suggesting, strongly suggesting to him that... Uh, He's got to set Onesimus free, but he's also suggesting to Onesimus, hey, you got to come back. This is part of God's plan, but don't come back as a slave. You come back as a friend. And so it's this letter, little by little, the Christian ethics that are found in this letter and the morality found in this letter that little by little began to abolish slavery, uh, Terry, around the world. Awesome. Let's bring the smartest guy into the room. Full feet ahead. Just this, this fits right into our culture Bishop Sheen says the modern tendency is towards the affirmation of the ego. You know, everybody gets a trophy. The exaltation of selfishness, riding rough shot over others in order to satisfy our own self-centeredness. It certainly has not produced much happiness, for the more ego asserts itself, the more miserable it becomes. I call it the unholy trinity, me, myself, Mm -hmm. and I. That's right. Really, just that's what Christianity is all about. It's not about expressing yourself it's about serving others and by serving you have become another christ to others and that's what we try to do here at virgin most powerful radio jesse when we come back uh mr horvitt he's really a great uh man he's written a book called return to order i encourage people to get it over three hundred sixty thousand of these have been printed and so read wow but uh yeah it's amazing he says are you spiritually prepared for a nuclear war that's what we're going to talk about because this is the end of the liturgical year anyway yep this is when the church is saying remember man you are dust and dust you shall return because why because life is short and eternity is forever let's talk about that and much much more on the terry and jesse show yes we're too blessed to be stressed Yes, we're too anointed to be disappointed. And if hope was money, we'd be billionaires because our hope is in who? Jesus Christ. Stay with us, family. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. To join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Now, here's Terry and Jesse. Global warming, are you ready? <laughs> are you spiritually prepared it. for nuclear war? Yep. 
we got a crazy man in the Oval Office. Yep. America could be attacked by nuclear weapons soon, says Dr. John Horvat. From a Catholic perspective, what should a person do? The winds of war are blowing as the conflict in Ukraine threatens to expand to include all of Europe and even America. Let's just be honest. We're fighting a proxy war against Russia. That's right. Uh, and we're and Ukraine is basically the chessboard, yep. and we're funding it. So Dr. Horvath says there's much talk of nuclear war at no time since the 1962 Cuban crisis has the possibility of such an outbreak been so likely. Here's my, my uh, reflection. Remember, Terry, people were saying, Trump's going to get us into a war. Yep. Okay. And, and people were saying, we need Biden because Biden's the best foreign policy senator we have in Washington. <laughs> they were wrong on both counts, Terry. You think? Tr- Trump not only did not get us into any war, but, po- but Biden seems to be the worst foreign policy senator Washington's ever produced. Even Barack Obama recently said, I can't say the word on radio, he said, Hey, uh, leave it, leave it to Biden to blank everything he touches. Yeah. America could be attacked by nuclear weapons soon. From a Catholic perspective, what should a person do? Terry, want to take that away? Yeah, the most logical question most American Catholics should ask themselves is if they are prepared for a nuclear war. Even if war does not come, the most prudent thing to do is to prepare. The consequences of not preparing are very grave. Why? He says, because... Taking a talking about nuclear war shocks the sensibilities of a nation whose natural optimism prefer not to think about such things. America has long been blessed with peace on its soil. Many people assume it will always be that way. Others are tempted to run away from the problem, refer, preferring not to ponder and prepare while there's still time. I want, to, I want to go to the ball games. I want to have fun. Let's not talk about it. Let me think mm-hmm. about it. However, despite wishful thinking, disaster can suddenly strike. Catholics need to ask these unpleasant questions. So much is at stake. Just continue. Dr. Horvath says establishing priorities, taking care of spiritual needs. The next question is how to prepare. Yes. What measures should be taken to prepare the best? There are many needs when nuclear war strikes. Some of these can be foreseen. Many others are unpredictable. The best plan is to take care of the most urgent needs first and follow up with others. Much anxiety can be avoided by establishing priorities. For a Catholic, the greatest needs are spiritual ones. Amen. (laughs) Above all, the primary preparation must, must Involve putting one's spiritual life in order. The greatest prepping operation is not material, which can include huge expenses. It is spiritual and thus freely accessible to everyone. Terry. Yeah, maintaining the state of grace. That's what we say all the time on, on Virgin Most Powerful. But the greatest challenge of the spiritual life is maintaining the state of grace, whereby one stays in friendship of God by being friend, fr- free of mortal sin. Then, regardless of what happens, one eternal salvation is assured, even if, if with time in purgatory. I want to mention something. F- Father Zachariah Buchos, I say it all the time, he's an inspiration. He's a Coptic priest. He told me in his book, I'll never. he told us on the radio years ago, that Islamic terrorists just killed his brother, a priest, slit his throat, 
mm-hmm. when the Bible fell to the ground of his brother's Bible, he picked it up and they said, you want to be next? And he's only 14 years old as a young man. He says, you can't send me anywhere God isn't. And I say the same thing. If nuclear war comes and everybody just gets zapped, if we're living in the state of grace, I mean, my eternity begins, right? And so this is why, you know, preparation for it is so important. He says, so therefore the best preparation is what? A good confession while nuclear war looms. This is what I think is awesome. You know, if it encourages people to go to confession, go. Catholics should make good and thorough examination of conscience so that when forgiven, they might have the peace of mind needed to deal with these extreme material challenges they will face in war. Continue. Terry, uh, Dr. Horvat, this guy, this guy just so, this guy's Spot on. So, yeah, everything he writes, this guy just got a sharp pen. He's got a... Uh, a PhD. He's actually got a PhD, but also a PhD in common sense. And yeah. He's just also, he's just also got a wealth of wealth. And he's an on-fire Catholic who loves Jesus and the church. Yeah, okay. yeah. However, he says, it's not enough to confess in anticipation of a conflict. Dangerous times put people in peril and they fall into sin. Yep. As World War II approached, St. Maximilian Kolbe recommended to the Polish people that they stockpile a special spiritual weapon as part of preparations. <laughs> It consists of knowing what to do in chaotic times when priest and confession are unavailable. It's about knowing how to make a perfect con- uh, uh, an act of to make a perfect act of contrition to return to a state of grace. Wow. Terry, this is so important. Oh, we're about to teach right now. You don't hear this, Justice. <laughs> no, Continue Terry, on. This, this is, is old critical. school Catholicism. Well, that's what we need. Is, and, and I'll tell you who did a perfect contrition, just yeah. St. Dismas on the cross. There you go. That's how he got to heaven. There you a go. perfect act of contrition. Yep. Uh, the, a golden key. Mm-hmm. Every Catholic prepper needs to keep this golden key within reach. Mm-hmm. In his booklet, The Gold Key to Paradise, Perfect Contrition, Catholic author Reverend J. Von, Von, Von Den Dreech offers what he calls a key for dire circumstances that, with the grace of God, will open heaven for you. The church teaches that a vital part of confession is for the penitent to have contrition, exactly, which is a pain of the soul and a hatred for sins committed. This contrition can be imperfect as when sinners regret their sins out of fear of the loss of heaven and the pains of hell. This perfect contrition suffices... Thanks, Terry. Okay. This imperfect contrition suffices in the confessional where the priest gives the absolution. However, when confession cannot be obtained, a better contrition is needed and should be used by the, by the Catholic prepper. Terry, this is the meat of the article. Go oh, ahead. I love it. Perfect contrition. <laughs> I love this. This is it's, the meat of it. Yeah, exactly. It's sorrow and hatred for one's sin, not out of fear. That's imperfect contrition. But from perfect love of God. Well, Jess, I want to repeat that sentence. Mm. It's gold. Perfect contrition is sorrow and hatred for one's sin, not out of fear, but from perfect Mm. love of God. The penitent does not love because of the benefits received, but because God is infinitely perfect, beautiful, and good. Taken right out of the catechism. He is deserving of all Mm. love outside of any benefits he may give or punishments he may inflict. Now, that golden key consists of inciting in oneself a state of intense contrition. The church teaches one's sins are forgiven through this 
act, although the sin should be confessed later. The penitent must ardently ask God for this great grace of sorrow out of love for him. The sinner might repeat with great fervor the part of the act of contrition that announces this sorrow for sin by declaring, but most of all, because I offended thee, my God, who are all good and deserving of all my love. An act of perfect contrition, wow, is this so beautiful, is more difficult than the imperfect contrition needed for confession, although its effects are the same. So in time of peril, which we're in right now, the sinner can regain the state of grace and friendship with God by using the golden key. Terry, this is the way a lot of Protestants are going to be saved. Oh, I agree. Yeah, I, I believe at the yep. end of their life, yep. God's going, God will give them the grace. You know, I'm just saying like people like Billy Graham, Mike Huckabee, people that have been tracking towards the right direction exactly. all their life. Yep. You know, even somebody like Dennis Prager, Christ will reveal himself to Prager at the last moment. Yep. And he'll have at that point perfect contrition. He'll see the horror of his sin. Yep. The horror of it, you know, the, the horror of our soul. You're right. Yes. And he's going to have just at that moment. I want you. I want only you. And I'm so sorry for for for, for offending you. I, I think a lot of again, this is the way non-Catholics will be saved at the end. The ones who are saved will be by a perfect contrition. So this is not just only for Catholics. Uh, anybody can have perfect contrition. Uh, again, St. Dismas didn't have any of the sacraments and he's in heaven right now. Uh, it says here, there are, of course, other means of spiritual preparation for Catholics in times of nuclear war. However, this first one is a good one. A soul at peace with God becomes capable of confronting suffering and dealing with adversity. The petitions of such souls will be more readily granted. This is a secure preparation that will benefit the souls regardless of what happens. To the golden key... Mm-hmm must be added a golden sword in the form of the rosary, <laughs> a it. most powerful weapon in times of crisis. Amen. The church has many assets for the, times of, for the times of trial that Catholics should use. Catholics can and should also secure reasonable material needs that an emergency requires. However, these measures are not the most essential. The threat of nuclear war endangers the salvation of so many souls. Thus, topics like the golden key of perfect of perfect contrition should be the matter of many sermons to protect the flock from the dangers ahead. Other topics might include the efficacy of the rosary, the effects of sin on society, or the reality of God's justice. Alas, few preachers broach them. This tragic neglect is part of the great crisis in the church and leaves Catholics so unprepared to deal with the world in chaos. Yeah, Terry, we're talking about things like global warming, climate change, yeah. LGBT issues, Nothing things that are non, uh, non, uh, yep. non-essential to Catholics, uh, Catholic right. world. The salvation of their soul, Jess. Let's talk about their soul rather than this world. Jess, I'm going to add one more thing in this, and that is we need to be praying for the graces to be able to receive our Lord's graces, uh, whether our, our, our family members, yeah. our friends, because there has to be a price paid mm-hmm. for grace. This doesn't just happen... There's people praying for others. And this is why I say at the end of every show, our lady said it, that souls are going to hell because no one is there to pray and make sacrifices. I've seen it where people come to Christ and you have to ask yourself, what was it that brought them to Jesus Christ? And, you know, I just got to believe it was a grandma, a relative, a friend who had been praying for years for their conversion, for their son. Let me give a teaser. Let me give a story of of a death row inmate. Oh, tell us that one. Uh, at the next segment, yeah, that's at, at the beginning of the next segment, 
I'm going to share a powerful story. St. Therese of Lisieux. Oh, this was before she was a nun. She was a 14-year-old girl. She heard about a man that was going to be killed on death row. And uh, you don't want to miss this story. I'm going to tell you what she did and what happened to this godless, unbelieving guy on death row right before they killed him. Yeah, and this is, again, an example of people stepping up to the plate and making restitution, making reparation. And let's be honest, Jesse, right now, we're in a world that's in a heap of trouble, as Morvick said, and we need prayers for our pope, for our bishops, for priests, for leaders in the political realm. Everybody needs prayer. And when you see what the little flower did, I believe that we can imitate her example of praying for people who have lived decadent lives. Stay with us. This is a story that you won't want to miss here on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. The Terry and Jesse Show. Here, we're going to give you a story that the little flower did that you'll never forget. You want to Mm -hmm. share it with your friends and family at dinner tonight. Yep. Stay with us, family. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. To join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Now, here's Terry and Jesse. Our Lady of Fatima said many people go to hell because they have nobody to pray and do penance for them. Amen. Here's a story in France of somebody who did do penance for somebody who was on death row. Yep. Powerful story on the merit of redemptive suffering. Yeah. St. Teresa of the Little Flower of Lisieux, uh, at the age of 14, she found out that there was a man named Henry Pranzini who was on death row for killing two women and a child, and he was a God-hating blasphemer. Mm. So she finds out about this. She's 14. She's not a, she's not a nun yet, but she was already drawn to, towards the things of God and holiness. So she be, she began doing prayers of reparation and penance for this man that she didn't even know. So uh, remember back in France, at that time, they, they used to use the guillotine. It was a swift way to kill people. Mm-hmm. And Henry Pranzini consistently refused to repent or confess his sins to a priest and admit his sin and his crime. He was obstinate. He wanted nothing to do with God or the Catholic faith. But the prayers... For the grace of salvation of Henry Pranzini's soul by a 14-year-old before she was even a nun were meritorious in the eyes of God. Yeah. Because as Henry was taken out of his jail cell for execution mm-hmm. and the prisoner was being escorted to the guillotine and, you know, far away in her house, uh, Teresa of Lisieux was praying for this man. Mm. Well... A Catholic priest was there witnessing the execution. Mm-hmm. As Pranzini walked by the Catholic priest, the priest held out a crucifix to him. Wow. The prisoner, Henry, stopped in his tracks, grabbed the crucifix slowly, and kissed it three times Incredible. with piety. Oh. He then walked to the guillotine and was beheaded. This man was saved at the last minute of his life much like St. Dismas, because of the prayers of a 14-year-old, of a holy 14-year-old lay woman. Incredible. What a great story. What a great example for us today, Jesse. Yeah. Yeah. You're right, Terry. 
uh, now are we going to go right next to? Our, yeah, let's okay. jump. Uh, let's move on to Catholic vote. Yep. Right. Yeah. Go ahead, yeah. Terry. Jump C- on it. Yeah. CNN smears charities gets pushback over a hit piece. Basically, the CNN investigators issued a new report on taxpayer funding for pregnancy resource centers. Well, obviously, that's not what they want. They want the money to go to the killing centers. A report subtitled, How Taxpayer Money Intended for Poor Families is Funding a Growing Anti-Abortion Movement. Oh, you know what, Jesse? This story shows again uh, the narrative. If it supports their narrative, boy, Mm -hmm. are they going to hit it. CNN is working in lockstep with Senator Elizabeth Warren and other Democrat by attacking these pregnancy centers, said said Catholic Vote Director of Government Affairs Tom McCluskey. It's inciting hatred and violence against centers that have already been providing free housing, care, food, supplies to family for over 50 years. Continue, Jess. Unbelievable, Terry. Uh, this this is what we're up against. I know they're I mean, evil, man. Yeah. I, I just can't say anything other than they're evil yeah. people. Yeah. McCluskey also pointed out that CNN and other legacy media outlets have been selective in what they choose to report to the American public when it comes to abortion. They continue to ignore the Democratic supporters mm-hmm. who cause actual violence to clinics. That's a fact. That help the most vulnerable in our society. Yep. Since the May 2022 leak of the Dobbs decision... There have been over 75 attacks on pregnancy resource centers run by Catholics, mainly, by the way, according to a Catholic vote violence tracker. The CNN team states that either 12 or 18 states, quote, devote some of their budget to funding crisis pregnancy centers. About half of these states distribute federal money intended to help needy families to the centers. Ask the average uh, taxpayer one question. McCluskey said, would you rather see funds going to these maternity homes and future generations or to abortion giant Planned Parenthood, whose main purpose is eliminating those future generations? Close quote. Easy question. Yeah. The CNN report quotes seven pro-abortion activists or providers and two post-abortive women who resent the pregnancy center staff they encountered before deciding to end their baby's lives. The investigative team interviewed one pro-life center employee and quoted an email from another. CNN did not quote any mothers or fathers who had received support at a pregnancy resource center. Of course not. So it's, you know, that's why that's why I call CNN, Terry, the Communist News Network. Yeah. I also call them the Clinton News Network. Uh, because this is all they are. They're just all they, they're all just a propaganda mouthpiece for the Democrat Party. You know, Jesse, I think of the Nazis, and we all talk about you know the hitman there, and they were experimenting and killing people, and we call them murderers. We just have to call these abortionists what they are. Yeah. They're murderers and evil. Because when you can kill innocent life, there's no other description. I can't call them anything else except being evil when they kill innocent life. That's right. And I'll tell you, the the senator that's really ginning up a lot of this is uh, Elizabeth Warren, the Democrat from, oh is she from Maine or Massachusetts? Up, north, she's, up in the New England, yeah. I'm not sure. But New England, yeah, so, so she's, uh, in late May, if you, if you hear her language, her rhetoric, mm-hmm. uh, the report implies that the vast majority of pregnancy center, uh, care centers engage 
in deceptive practices, according to Senator Elizabeth Warren. Some of the organizations that receive money have been accused of spreading abortion misinformation or using the funds to advocate anti-abortion causes instead of helping women. And CNN, they cite two studies to substantiate their claims. The first was released in 2021 by the Alliance, which is a grassroots activist group with the primary priority of promoting abortion access, another leftist group. Yeah, you wonder what they're going to find. Yeah. The second study, co-authored by Amy Bryant and Erica Levi for the, for the journal Contraception. <laughs> you, can, you can imagine what the, you're going to hear yeah, that article. Uh, this, journal, uh, this journal Contraception identifies misinformation as any statements linking abortion to breast cancer, infertility, mental health problems, or post-abortion stress. Give me a break. These are all facts that happen are. with post-abortive women. Exactly. Higher rate of breast cancer, infertility, mental uh, health, and uh, post-abortion stress. And and the left is denying this. They have Denying to. medicine. De- denying uh, medical facts, Terry, but, that have been established by uh, independent doctors that this is exactly some of the complications linked to abortion. Breast cancer, yes. infertility, yeah. mental health problems, and post-abortion stress. But the left always has done that, Jesse. You've said that over the years. That's, yeah. that's, a, that's a technique. Yeah, the Clinton News Network, CNN, or the Communist News Network smear campaign is bad research. Yep. It's bad reporting. Mm-hmm. It's another example of how the mainstream media has sold out to leftist tactics. And this is why, Terry, that their numbers are in the tank. And this is why, by the way, that their new CEO, I forget his name, he's firing a lot of the leftists because they have such low viewers, such as, you know, such such a low uh, audience. Yeah, yeah, that 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 he's trying to find a way to try to gin up the numbers. So he's firing a lot of the people that are just, you know, that are too extreme, which which is most of them. You know, it's it's very simple. It's uh, and I mean, this isn't rocket science. Oh. You have today's pro-abortion party is they're they're tied, you know, they're they're tied to the hips with the Democrat Party, the Democrat Party, and the pro-abortion movement and the LGBT movement. They're all walking, you know, in in lockstep. They're all. You know, connected at the hip. This is why you'll see, for example, that wherever there's some type of pro-life legislation, I remember the one in Austin, Texas, when they're passing all these pro-life bills. So you had the pro-abortion Democrats. They went down there to rally, to protest at the state capitol in Austin, Texas. And then you also had with protesting along with the pro-abortion Democrats was the Temple of Satan. And they were holding signs. We are the temple of Satan. We are pro-abortion. It's, it's a, this is a religious sacrament for us. So the Satanist That's where I was going, yes. and the witches, yep, you got it. when it comes to pro-abortion rallies, yep. they join the Democrat pro-aborts Fact. because they're all allies. Yep. The Democrat pro-aborts, the, 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 the temple of Satan, the witches and the LGBT community, all four of them, you'll see them at rallies for Democrat causes because they're all allies, Terry. Birds of the feather flocking together. Jesse, you've been saying that for years. And think about this, Jess. 
What does Satan want to do about souls? He wants to not, you think he'll do, he'll, he'll do anything to stop someone from being baptized, right? Because that right. baptism gives yeah. them supernatural life. So what happens? Well, let's, let's, you know, his, his game plan is let's kill them before their birth as, so that, you know, they're not going to be having an opportunity to be baptized. And I think that the four the teams there, Jesse, that you just described, they yeah. work together because they have the same goal. Yep. This is a, abortion is a satanic practice, uh, which, which I was thinking this morning. If Satan would come down to earth and he would incarnate into a man, into a man's body, what party would he vote for? Oh. What would he be? As a, if, if he, if Satan, yeah, there you go. If Satan incarnated into an American male, yeah. what party would he vote for? He'd be a Democrat. Satan would be a Democrat. Well, that's true. He'd also be for pornography. He'd also be for abortion. He'd be for anything that destroys the family because he is a deceiver from the beginning. That's what the Bible says. So yeah, you're right. The point that yeah, that's the point. The point that I'm making is that every American has to align themselves with a party when they vote. Yeah. And so if Satan incarnated, he would be a Democrat, and he would be voting for the Democrat Party because again. Uh, as as uh, Cardinal Burke has called them, the party of death, uh, and many other bishops are now using that same name. Well, They're calling them calling them the party of death. So that's good to see other cardinals and bishops are red pilling. Hey man, we come back. We're going to talk about a Dutch bishop leaving the Senate on synodality. Why is he leaving? Well, for very good reasons, and we're going to get into those and much much more. We come back on the Terry and Jesse Show on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Stay with us. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. To join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Now, here's Terry and Jesse. A Dutch bishop leaves the vile synod on synodality. Because he says the Holy Spirit has nothing to do with it. Wow. Amen. He's, he's absolutely true. He's absolutely correct. Yep. Well, why is? Let's get into it. His name is Bishop Robert Mutzertz. Mutzert, he's yep. the auxiliary bishop of the diocese of Hertogenbosch in the Netherlands. He's published a statement on his blog commenting on this synod of synodality, especially its October 27th new working document. F- quote for a synodal church. Communio Participatio Mission, which is calling for a female diaconate and uses the language of the LGBT agenda, yep. he announced that he has left the synodal process. So in a statement, Bishop Mutzertz calls the synodal process vile. I agree. And he's a witness of it. He's a witness to it. Yep. He knows they're trying to change the church. He's modernist. Right. Bishop Mutzert says, quote, God is out of the picture. In this vile synodal process, the Holy Spirit has absolutely nothing to do with it. Close quote. Among the protagonists of this processes of, of this process are are to me a few too many defenders of gay marriage, folks who don't really think abortion is a problem, and never really show themselves defenders of the church's rich creed. Wanting above all to be liked by their secular surroundings. This next paragraph says it all, Jess. Go for it. I Bishop Mutzartz yep. is not the only one to reject the happenings surrounding the synodal process that is to last until two, 2024. Yeah. Cardinal Gerhard Mueller 
called it a hostile takeover of the Church of Jesus Christ and invited Catholics to resist. <laughs> Guess uh, what? what? Loud and clear, we hear the message, and we God. are. Yes, sir. Comparing the current church crisis with that of the 4th century Arian crisis. He even said that, in light of the spreading of the LGBT agenda in the church, quote, one does not have to obey an obviously heretical bishop just for reasons of formal fidelity. Yep. Close quote. Blind obedience such as this, Cardinal Mueller says, quote, would be cadaveric obedience, which not only contradicts reason, but also faith. Close quote. Wow. Also, yeah. Bishop, Bishop Athanasius Snyder, another champion of the faith. Amen. Auxiliary Bishop of Astana, Kazakhstan, recently agreed with the German cardinal, pointing out that the process itself is steered and influenced by a certain agenda, calling it manipulation by churchmen That's right. who push their own ideological agenda. Wow. And you know, Jesse, both Cardinal Maria Gretsch and Cardinal Jean-Claude Hollerich who have been called by Pope Francis to play leading roles in this senatorial process. They're the promoters of the LGBT <laughs> agenda. I mean, give me a break. For example, uh, the approval of homosexuality within the Catholic Church. I mean, in response uh, to these heterodox positions that are being aired and promoted during this senatorial process, the Bishop uh, Mosert re remarks how unpastoral, how unloving people who want sincere answers. They don't want to go home with more questions. You're, keep, you're keeping people away from salvation. That's a strong statement, but I actually agree with it. Oh, yeah. These two cardinals are not promoting salvation. They're promoting sodomy. Exactly. R wrong S. This, this is why Bishop... Uh, yeah, he's dropped out. Yeah, he said he dropped out of this. Bishop Robert Mutzart said he's, he dropped out of the synodal process. He's got a little longer statement where he says here, yeah. on October 27th, Thursday, the, the Secretary of the Synod of Bishops in Rome presented the working document for the continental phase of the Synod for a synodal church. This took place at a press conference chaired by Cardinal Gretsch, a leftist, yes. held at the Holy See Press Center in Rome. Scandal. The document was entitled "Increase Your Space." The, the, uh, increase the space in your tent. <laughs> Isaiah fifty-four verse two. These Terry, these modernists use the Bible yeah. to spread dissent and to bring homosexuals, LGBTs, I, dissenters yeah. into the church as if they're living in a state of grace. This is crazy. Yes, see, Father Glenn, our pastor at the Anglican Ordinariate, on a Sunday liturgy, said, "I read everything about this synodal process." And that report that this bishop is saying, I'm done. And he said, everything in there was taken from Protestantism, which I came from. <laughs> Did you hear that? Everything in that document has nothing to do oh. with the Catholic faith. He said, it hurt me to read it. He says, but I don't, you know, I'm a Catholic because of choice. I'm, I know that the Catholic Church has the fullness of the faith. It's just that it hurts me to see shepherds denying that. We just have right now bad shepherds. We call them hirelings or wolves. That's and it. Jesus is, if they don't he repent, about him too. oh boy, Jesus is going to, he's got, uh, he's got a surprise for them. It's called global warming and climate change. The climate will change immediately when they drop dead in mortal sin. Yes, this last paragraph, you got to read it because it says a really good thing. Go ahead. The, the, the mantra of the yeah. process is to listen to whom? <laughs> to everyone. everyone. The working document contains a goodly number of quotes. 
These quotations were chosen because they express in a particularly powerful, beautiful or precise way feelings that are expressed more generally in many reports. The synodal experience can be read as an avenue of recognition for those who do not feel adequately recognized in the church. You recognize, I mean, this is... Quit living in mortal sin. Yeah. And, and, and you have no... The contours of the synodal process are becoming increasingly clear. It provides a megaphone for non-church views. The document indicates what the synodal path should ultimately lead to. This means a church that learns by listening how to renew its evangelizing mission in light of the signs of the time. That's, again, the spirit of Vatican II. In order to continue to offer humanity a way of being and living in which all can feel included as protagonist. Who are those who feel excluded? Paragraph 39. Yes. Quote, among those who call, who call for a more meaningful dialogue and a more welcoming space, <laughs> as the liberals say, a safe space, yeah. we also will find those who, for various reasons, feel a tension between belonging to the church and their own loving relationships, such as remarried, divorced people, single parents, people living in polygamous marriages, LGBTQ people, etc. In short... Those who do not agree with the church, the teachings of the Catholic Church. What the working document seems to suggest is that we compile a list of complaints and then debate them like like Protestants. That's what my friends and the priest friends said. This is just what we did. Go ahead. (laughs) The mission of the church is a different one, which is not examine all opinions and then let's come to an agreement. Jesus commanded us something else. Proclaim the truth. It is the truth that will make you free. The Bible. Particularly. Curious is the comment that the church pays no attention to polygamy. For that matter, the, the document does not pay any attention to traditionalist Catholics. Exactly. Those also feel excluded. Indeed, they are literally so excluded by Pope Francis's document, Traditionis Custodis. Apparently, there is no empathy in the Synod of Synodality for traditional Catholics, Terry. Well said. To the date... To date, the synodal process is more like a sociological experiment and has little to do with the Holy Spirit supposedly sounding through all. That's not, that's not how the Holy Spirit works. That could almost be called blasphemous. This is strong language, Jesse. I agree with him, though. Yes. yes. What is becoming increasingly clear is that the synodal process is going to be used to change a number of church positions and they say, with the Holy Spirit, then also being thrown into a fray uh, as an advocate, even though the Holy Spirit has really breathed something counterintuitive throughout the centuries. Above all, what can be gleaned from listening sessions is an evaporated, oh my gosh, faith. Yeah, no faith. No longer practice. No longer accepting the church positions. Whatever you feel like, go for it. People complain that the church does not accept their views. This is not entirely true. By the way, the Flemish and German bishops go a long way with them, which is actually much more tragic. They no longer want to call sin, sin. He nailed it. Hence, conversion, repentance are no longer discussed. Well said. Keep going, Jess. Yeah, this is from Bishop Robert Mozart. He's from the Netherlands. And this is his letter complaining about this modernist, Trojan horse yep. called the Synod of Synodality. He says here the, the, towards the bottom, he says, yeah. 
At the presentation of the working document, Cardinal Gretsch was going much too far in stating that the church's task is to act as an amplifier of every sound coming from within the church, even if it's contrary to what the church has always proclaimed. That was once different. At the time of the Counter-Reformation, the church was crystal clear about what its views were. You convince people by standing for the Catholic faith with reason and full conviction. You convince no one by merely listening and leaving it at that. The, the annoying thing is that the bishops were instructed to listen and then to document what was said. These reports were then collected at the church province level and then forwarded to Rome. Reports that included the necessary heresies with the signature of the bishops' conference. Oh my we could not do otherwise, but I am by no means happy about it. Seven cardinals, by the way, also aired this complaint in Rome, asking once again what synodality actually is. There was no clear answer. And the last paragraph is, is, is a key. you got to hit it. One thing is clear to me, says Bishop Mozart's. God is out of the picture in this vile synodal process. Yep. The Holy Spirit has absolutely nothing to do with it. Among the protagonists of this process are, to me, a few too many defenders of gay marriage, folks who don't really think about a, that, that don't think abortion is a problem, and never really show themselves defenders of the church's rich creed, wanting above all to be liked by their secular surroundings. How unpastoral! How unloving! People want sincere answers. They don't want to go home with more questions. You're keeping people away from salvation. I have since dropped out of the synodal process. This whole thing is a Trojan horse. This is Vatican III. The modernists didn't get enough of their agenda in Vatican II. And this is exactly they're trying to ram the last few things, Terry, to turn, turn the church into something horizontal, something Protestant, something that we don't even recognize anymore. Yeah, and Jesse, what I'm what I, what I laugh about is this bishop has the guts to say that I won't say who, but several of my bishop friends who are Orthodox agree with him. But many of them, I think, hey, they're going to probably remove me as the bishop if I come out in support of this. And I'm saying to myself, I understand, but this is where we're at right now. Let's see how long he lasts as the bishop in Netherlands. <laughs> wow, Jesse, he's this amazing. Is, this is good stuff. That inspired me. I mean, I'm thinking, hey, yeah. fight is on, man. Yeah. The souls. That's what yeah, Terry, Terry, the synod, the synod is the great reset of the church by the modernists. That's yes, what it is. That's exactly right. Yeah. Jesse, what state should we be living in, brother? I know that you, I know that uh, Terry and me, I know what we're state we're going to live in. Yep. If you want to hang out with us in the next life, us and our wives and our, yep. we're going to live in a state of sanctifying grace, please God. Amen, we're not going to live in a state of mortal sin. We're going to reject mortal sin like St. Dominic Savi said, I'd rather die than sin. And guess what? Pray rosaries every day. Go to Mass as often as possible, especially you guys that are retired that can that don't work. Exactly. Go to Mass daily. Do your, do your weekly holy hour. Pray your daily rosary. Pray your 12 noon angelus. Get holy or die trying, Terry. Swing the bat for Jesus. We all can participate in the salvation of souls. Your sacrifices, as Our Lady said, souls are going to hell because no one is there to make sacrifices and to pray for them. Please join us in this great arena of love and devotion. Thanks again for joining us.